You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 220 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, November 2nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and LockedOnRaptors.com. You can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean, and the show is on Twitter as well, Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. Uh, also, make sure you're checking out the FanRag network of Locked On NBA websites with great content coming down uh, from all the different hosts and writers and writers who are writing on behalf of the hosts and things like that. Uh, and you can make sure to check out LockedOnRaptors.com. I wrote yesterday about um, the Raptors team, and uh, what the hell did I write? I don't even know. I wrote about the, the who the Raptors' best defensive player is. I asked a whole bunch of bloggers around the, uh, around the Raptors sort of uh, area. I don't, man, I, this is a bad intro and I'm not going to stop it because this is the other ones that I record are going to be bad anyway. I asked a whole bunch of bloggers who they think the best Raptors defensive player is and uh, there was no real consensus. Uh, a few people voted Yaka Pirtle, OG Ananobi, yada, yada, yada. I sort of wrote a, a, re, a sort of a, an argument for each guy and why I think it might be them. I, I didn't pick because I have no idea. It's really hard to say. Uh, the Raptors have a lot of good defensive players uh, despite what last night's loss against the Denver Nuggets will tell you. All right, so... That's enough of me uh, trying to stumble my way through this intro. Make sure you're subscribing to Lockdown Raptors on iTunes, leaving ratings and reviews. Please do that. That's the most important stuff. Uh, And on today's show, let's get to the conversation now with myself and Joe Wolfond, who has been on the show before. He's an NBA writer for The Score, uh, also does amazing work covering tennis. Uh, He's just a a brilliant writer. So make sure you're checking out Joe uh, on Twitter at Joey underscore W, W spelt out. And we talked about rotations and the Raptors lineup usage and why we haven't seen certain lineups and what lineups we'd like to see more often and what lineups we would like to see. No, not any more often or no longer. Oh my goodness. This is a bad intro. I'm going to get to the conversation now. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the conversation with Joe Wolfon. We talked about the rotation. We talked about Serge Ibaka and his fit and the million centers on the team. Uh, we talked about you know which bigs should maybe not be playing over who and Fred Van Vliet's fit in the rotation and all that good stuff. Uh, Joe is far more articulate than I am, so enjoy this conversation. Apologies for this just disaster of an intro. And I'll be back again on Friday to tee up a game against the Utah Jazz and tee up the weekend. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Cheers. All right, joining me now on Locked on Raptors for a early season, small sample, injury-clouded, lineup data freakout, uh, and some rotation ponderance, it's Joe Wolfon. For my money, uh, maybe the best writer in Toronto. You're, you're just the best, Joe. How's it going, buddy? Oh, come on. Get out of here, man. Uh, I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. Uh, I'm happy to have you on for the second time, I believe. This is uh, nice to have you back. And we're talking after the day after the Raptors got their asses handed to them by the Denver Nuggets in Denver, a game in which they were completely out of sorts after getting Serge Ibaka and Jonas Valanciunas back. The, the rotation was weird. The Raptors just didn't have any energy, and the, the rotation was far from the, the biggest problem for them. But it was definitely an issue, and there are reasons to be sort of concerned about what's going on with how the Raptors are deploying their lineups. But um, yeah, so we're going to just kind of dive into some of the numbers, dive into some of the lineups, dive into some things that we wish we had been seeing so far through seven games that we haven't quite been seeing, uh, and just to dig into this lineup data and the rotation stuff, because it has been a little perplexing compared to years past when the Raptors have been just so consistent with what they do. Um, have you noticed that? Like, it, it feels weird to not have like set rotations that you know we're going to come in at certain times yeah it does feel weird but at the same time like this is basically what people have been like griping about for so long yeah. is 
the fact that Dwayne Casey's been like so obstinate about maintaining his rotations and uh, I feel like this is what a lot of people wanted was for him to be more to change and more flexible and more willing to adapt on the fly. So I feel like he's doing that and maybe he's going a little bit too far in the opposite direction. But, uh, it's early season, so now is the time to be taking it, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, you know, coming into the season, I think there were some lineups people wanted to see and there were some things that you thought you were going to, you were expecting to see. Um, and the, the Raptors have a lot of good players and it's been an issue. And of course, they missed some time with Jonas Valanciunas as well, who's played like two full games. Um, and Ibaka missed the game as well, and there's been some, there's just been, you know, in and outs from the from, from the rotation, from, you know, Lucas Noguera and Pascal Siakam to last night, Jakob Pertl kind of losing some minutes, which was bizarre, and I know you had some issues with on Twitter last night. Um, I did as well. We talked about that on the, the post-game podcast, just how it seemed weird that Pertl was the odd man out, it seemed, but um, I, I do think, yeah, it's a process. And just like the Raptors trying to change their offense, it's not going to be a linear thing where they're going to get better at moving the ball and shooting threes just day by day. It's going to take some time to figure things out. And the same goes for the for the coaching staff and Dwayne Casey trying to establish what lineups work and what sort of combinations are best and which ones shouldn't really be uh, gone to again. So um, I guess let's start with the big one, and that is the, the bench unit. It's been really good. It's the Raptors' most used lineup right now. Of OG Ananobi, uh, well, I gotta pull the number back up here. Uh, OG Ananobi, CJ Miles, Jakob Pertl, Fred VanVleet, and Delon Wright. They played 42 minutes together. It is the most used lineup for the Raptors, and that's kind of a one of the issues, you know, just kind of on its own is that most teams right now by now have lineups that are in like the hundred minutes played together range, and so everything we're dealing with is an incredibly small sample because of the injuries, because of the wonky rotations, uh, and the bench unit has been really good so far. Uh, I honestly was not expecting to see that they have a plus 18.6 net rating, 103.5 offensive, 84.9 defensive, um, and that's without either Kyle Lowry or DeMar Rosen on the floor. Uh, it's had some issues. Fred Van Vliet hasn't looked great the last couple games, or even for the most part of the season. He's just kind of been, I think, buoyed a little bit by the rest of the guys in that lineup. And, you know, there have been some cracks in how it's looked, and I think a lot of these numbers are still sort of, you know, thriving off of the first couple of games where they completely dominated the Bulls and Sixers. Um, but this lineup it has been really good. And But I, I do think it's probably time to sort of maybe look towards trying to stagger the stars a little bit more. Is that something you're kind of looking for now? Because we have only seen like six minutes of Lowry plus four bench guys, uh, at least the four bench guys that you would sort of pencil in as the top four bench guys, and Ananobi, Wright, Pirtle, and Miles. Um, And I feel like in the past we'd see that lineup all the time at the start of second quarters, and it would kind of bail teams out, obviously with different characters, but, you know, same kind of feel, a defensive first lineup, a fast lineup that can run up and down the floor and kind of be dictated by Lowry, and Lowry can play a different pace. Um, are you hoping to see maybe a little bit more of Kyle with some bench guys in lieu of Fred Van Vliet being on that lineup with all bench dudes? Yeah, 100%. I think I'm generally just a proponent of if you have two all-stars, like make sure that you can have one of them on the floor at all times like that that's kind of the benefit of of having those two guys so uh i think as the season goes along you'll start to see that a lot more and i don't know i think just good teams generally don't don't tend to play five bench guys at once and the fact that it was such a nice pleasant surprise in the first couple of games has has maybe given them a bit of a longer rope but i do get the sense that maybe that rope is going to start to run out and it, it is nice because they they play with a lot of pace and when they get rolling it can be really exciting but again I don't think say like subbing Lowry and Van Fleet is going to do anything to diminish 
that anything getting. Uh, it's, it's only going to give them just like a little bit more offensive juice, and I don't think it'll diminish what they're able to do defensively. Yeah, for sure. I think Lowry's a better defensive player than Van Vliet at this point, so it stands a reason that they would be better defensively. Um, and I guess, you know, going from there, I guess the other lineup, too, that I think coming into the season I thought we were going to see quite a bit, whether it was closing games or uh, in certain situations where other teams were going small. Uh, Lowry with um, DeMar, Norm, Miles, and Ibaka, sort of a small look with Miles playing the four. I thought we were going to see that a lot more often. We've seen that for all of two seconds so far this season. Uh, in the Spurs game, they had it in, and it looked. I was excited. I was ready for it. And then Ibaka picked up a foul like after two seconds of being on the floor. He had to sit down, um, and that was a bummer. But we haven't seen it again. Is that something you want to see more often? And maybe just the matchups haven't dictated it. Like a game last night against the the Nuggets, like Millsap and Jokic are huge, and maybe you don't want to sort of give up the rebounding by having Miles play the four there. But I feel like there have been times where they could have gone to it at some point. Um, are you hoping that becomes more of a sort of go-to tool for, for Casey over the course of games as well? I would like to see it more often, yeah. It's, it's kind of strange that uh, we haven't seen it that much. Um... And I feel like they, they have used that lineup, um, like with Ibaka at the five, but with uh, Siakam at the four, mm-hmm. um, like quite a bit more often. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that was a lineup that maybe we all anticipated seeing closing a lot of games this year. And that was, you know, more or less the lineup that they had closing games toward the end of last year, but with uh, PJ Tucker in place and CJ Miles at the four. So um, I, I, I think. I don't know why we haven't seen it. Like, obviously, um, there has just been, like, a lot of juggling going on. But uh, as far as having guys in the front court who can space the floor and uh, I think having what probably still would be a pretty potent defensive lineup despite the drop-off from, you know, having P.J. Tucker at the floor compared to C.J. Miles, um, I would probably expect to see that a little bit more going forward. Although, um, just given, like, what Jakob Pertle has given you, I think, at both ends of the floor... Mm-hmm. Um, that you know like it might be hard to keep him off the floor to close games as well yeah that's true and like Pirtle and Abaka I don't know the two-man data right here um I don't know how much they've even played together but it feels like those two can probably fit a little bit better because maybe you can kind of inverse the roles and Pirtle can kind of play a little bit more of like a sort of roaming style where you can kind of keep Abaka near the rim where he's just better like he at this point it's tricky with so many centers on the roster but he's just best as a center at this point and it's it's tricky to juggle, and some guys are going to lose minutes. That's just how it is. Um, but like, yeah, Ibaka is a better spacer of the floor at the center spot next to Valanciunas. It's just very tricky defensively because when you have like we saw last night, Ibaka just got cooked by Paul Millsap, and that's the kind of guy who you're going to come across a lot uh, in the modern NBA. A four who can sort of do some stuff with the ball in his hands. Like think of him up against like a Marcus Morris, or sorry, Markeith Morris, or even Marcus Morris um, with with the Celtics, like. Those are guys who Abaka's going to have a lot of trouble hanging with. Or you come across Boston, where they just play all small dudes. Um, that's where I think that small lineup for the Raptors could really be of use. And like, it's been really hard. And like, they've had weird matchups. And like, the Warriors force you to do weird crap. Um, and of course, injuries have kind of thrown things out of whack. And they had two stinger games against the, the the Sixers and Bulls, which were essentially extended preseason. So. We haven't really seen the team in like a regular, normal setting just yet. They're, they've been on this crazy road trip, um, and things are kind of working themselves out. I, I do think we'll see that lineup more often, though. There's no reason why, they, as you said, why they wouldn't go back to it, because you, you saw last year how effective it was with Tucker and Ibaka. And even if you go like 
Ananobi instead of uh, instead of the place of the Tucker role in that lineup. I think that could potentially work as well. Just anything that gets Ibaka at center to close games, I think you have to kind of strive for because he was really effective there last season. Uh, it didn't really work with Valanciunas. They were a pretty noticeable negative together, but when he played center by himself, like him and Tucker were like a 98.6 defensive rating. You don't even need to be that good. Uh, in a different lineup, if you have as much shooting on the floor as you would, if you have Miles, Norm, Demar, Kyle, and Serge, I feel like you're probably fine giving up a few more points in the defensive end because the offense is going to be that much more potent. Yeah, I totally agree, and I, I've also uh, advocated for just seeing a little bit more of that Ibaka and Pirtle combination mm-hmm. uh, because I do think that it could work. Just as far as like, it doesn't really matter who's going four or five defensively like those guys can kind of seamlessly switch in and out i think and uh at the offensive end like purtle is just like such a heady player i feel like that the, his, his lack of range doesn't really affect the offense that much because he's, he's just really good at like ducking into space and like hunting for offensive rebounds so with him like next to ibaka who can space the floor um i think that could actually be like a pretty good fit at both ends mm-hmm. and uh, I like ideally in that situation you kind of have Pirtle who's the guy who, who's switching out and be like being able to defend on the perimeter while Ibaka's maybe hanging a little bit closer to the rim um, but uh, as far as yeah as far as like what's going to maximize Surge like I think you definitely want to have him like playing center as much as possible and definitely like to my mind just like playing next to Valanchunas as little as possible yeah. like I, I know like you know, those are two extremely well-paid players and two very good players in their own ways, but, like, they just don't really seem to complement each other that well. And I don't know if there's going to be a starting lineup change at any point in the season, but um, I, I just I just don't see the fit there. So I do think, like, that the rotation juggling can work, uh, with the with the big men that they have in their rotation right now, because they all bring their own unique skill sets to the table, uh, I, I just don't think that that pairing is going to necessarily work itself out at any point in time. I'm curious what the league wide impression of of Surge def- Surge's defense over the last like four years would be if he had been playing center primarily for the last few years instead of mostly power forward next to whatever Stephen Adams or Anis Cantor or. Uh, you know, or in Orlando, a whole class of just terrible bigs, um, a, a, a class of terrible bigs who are all awesome this season for the Magic, apparently. Um, right. But and even next to Valanciunas, like the only time we've really seen him play prolonged minutes at center, I guess there were some times in the playoffs where he would do it uh, for the Thunder, and then last season, at the end of the season, was really like, the first time we've saw we've seen him play center, and I think his rim protection numbers. Wouldn't well, they would he wouldn't be blocking three point seven block like shots a game like that's you're never getting back to that level of surge but I still think like his rim protection numbers and just sort of the general impression of his defense would be vastly different if, if he'd really been playing the position that he's probably meant to play at this point for the last few years. Yeah, I agree, and definitely since the Raptors have gotten him, he's looked just so much more comfortable defending close to the rim. And I don't know, for me personally, I had this impression of him. Uh, that he was like a super athletic player mm-hmm. uh, because he puts up those kind of eye-popping uh, block rates over the years. Like, I, I don't know, that's that's just sort of what you expect from him. And I, I don't know, like, I don't think he's looked particularly athletic. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he'll still get a lot of blocks and can still be, I think, a really good rim protector because of his size and because of his instincts and his timing. Mm-hmm. But 
he doesn't like seem to have a lot of burst to me and like his lateral quickness just really hasn't been there like um i think you know like guys have have just kind of like regularly gone by him when he's asked to come out and defend on the perimeter so uh i think yeah i don't know i'm like i can't say that like i like watched every minute of him playing in okc but like it definitely seems like he has lost a step Mm-hmm. And so if it wasn't obvious before that, like, you know, center is probably his most natural or, like, his best position, then it's definitely obvious to me now. If you take the five Raptors big men, Serge, Jakob, uh, Bebe, Pascal Siakam, and Jonas Valanciunas, line them up on a baseline and have them do, like, a crab shuffle, side, like, lateral sort of uh, quickness drill from one end of the court to the other, how does it finish from one to five? <laughs> Um, I think Pascal's probably number one. Yeah. Um, Pirtle's number two. And Bebe, number three. And then, yeah, I like Serge probably still finishes ahead of Jonas. <laughs> I think uh, Serge would beat Bebe, too. Bebe's low-key not very fast, I don't think. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. he, he just kind of makes up for it by being so insanely long. But, yeah, yeah you're probably right. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, Siakam would destroy everybody, I think. Yeah. He's insanely fast. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough to know, like, how how to juggle all those guys, how to start games, how to finish games. Like, I, as much as, um, again, like Blake Murphy wrote yesterday, like, that's one of them good problems. Like, I, yeah. I don't necessarily envy Dwayne Casey having to figure out how to juggle all those guys' minutes and how to find the right alchemy with all those lineups. Yeah, it kind of invites second-guessing, too, because if you play Bebe over Pirtle for one game and things will go well, like, who knows if it would have gone well with Pirtle in there instead of Bebe, but, like, it just it leaves yourself open because there are other options on the table. Um, and people love to second-guess Twain Casey, so uh, it's, a, it's a precarious position for sure. Um, Fred Van Vliet, I think Blake wrote about Fred Van Vliet in that post yesterday as well, and I think he's talked about it a little bit in terms of Maybe he is the guy who should not be in the rotation, and maybe you see, you know, a bit of a change in terms of having like OG play the three a little bit more often in order to get the the full complement of big guys who are playing really well enough minutes. Um, I I think I'd like to see like two of the guys not get minutes. I'd rather see like Kyle play with that bench unit, stagger the guys, and just use like a nine man rotation to be honest. And then you use the guys at the end of the bench in injury situations or without trouble and whatnot, and that's just how it is. Um, like not everyone can play and it's really hard to get any sort of groove going when you have 12 guys who are getting regular time um, so ideally I'd like to see like Fred sit uh, and just kind of be like the third point guard that you rarely see sort of the DeLon role last season maybe in like an emergency situation where you really want like an extra shooter on the floor or something like that maybe you bring out Fred but other than that I'm not sure what utility has utility he has over guys like Lowry and, and just and even the bigs who are playing really well um, and then even, like, I don't know, it's hard to choose between Bebe and Siakam. I think Pirtle, for me, would be the most solidified of all those guys, in my mind, in terms of just, like, he's earned minutes, and he seems to really fit with that bench unit, and, like, it really seems like he should be playing, like, 18 to 20 minutes a game. Uh, whereas Bebe and Siakam, I think they're a little bit more feast or famine, and I'm not sure who I'd prefer to see play more often, to be honest. Maybe Siakam, just because he's a bit more, uh, he, he can play the four, and you don't really want Bebe playing the four at all. Um, but I don't know, what do you think about sort of tightening things up and going with nine men once the road trip's over and they're out, out, out of the altitude and all this crap uh, and they kind of have all their, their, their full set of guys available? 
Yeah, I agree, and I, I would even go further and say that I think Pirtle should probably be playing something like 25 minutes a game. I really think that he, he just had such a positive impact, mm-hmm. and he makes so few mistakes. Like, I, I don't... Uh, I just... I just think personally that he is the Raptors' best big man, and there's no reason why he shouldn't be playing 25 minutes a game. But um, to your point, yeah, like I I can appreciate the position Dwayne Casey was in, like uh, in that Denver game. How do you tell Bebe, you know, a night or two nights after he had the game of his life, that you know suddenly you got to ride the pine? Yeah, especially for a guy who is maybe kind of sensitive and seems to thrive on like positive reinforcement um to to maybe take him out of the rotation a game after he like really i think just put together like his best performance um and i don't know i mean i think that that gets lost sometimes like we as viewers maybe like tend to take this cold rational view of things and like there's a human component that i think has that has to be taken into account as well Mm. so i don't really have a problem with casey like trying to ride the hot hand and maybe like uh give Nagara like a chance to to build on that performance but again yeah i think like playing 12 guys in the first quarter and just like um spreading everybody like a little bit um a little bit thin in terms of their minutes like i, I just don't think that's going to work in the long term eventually he is going to have to settle on like a tighter rotation and it's always going to be situational and matchups and injuries and um this, that, and the other is always going to dictate who plays when and for how long. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as Pirtle being the guy who got short shrift in that game, like that just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, Pirtle's been awesome, man. He's uh, uh, You're so right that he never makes mistakes, and I think he can work. I- I'm curious to see what him and Valanciunas would look like. Probably not good, um, just because there's no spacing at all there. But it's sort of a similar idea in that Maybe Pirtle could cover for Valanciunas a little bit better than, than Ibaka can. Um, I don't know. There's, there's got to be ways to get Pirtle more minutes, I think. But they're put in a, in a bind by having, A, too many young players who have shown signs of life, and B, just too many guys who probably best profiles as centers. But these are issues that I'm sure a month from now when there's three injuries we won't be talking about. It's just a problem that you have now when everyone's healthy and there's a surplus of guys who are playing well and there will be slumps and whatnot. So we probably don't need to freak out too much. But... Uh, it's worth discussing, especially on a, a podcast that is daily, and we need to talk about things. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I mean, definitely those issues seem more glaring in light of the catastrophe that was last night. But I, I do think there were a lot more issues that you know contributed to that disastrous loss than than just uh, the big man rotation. Like, um, I think generally, yeah, you you. Like the attitude you should take is just being happy that you have all these guys who have shown that they can contribute, yeah. um, all in different and meaningful ways, uh, as opposed to griping about the fact that uh, it's creating this kind of weird jumble of lineups and minutes. You could always be the Wolves, who have like six NBA players, maybe. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I will say, like, I do think that at some point in time, there they're gonna have to balance the roster because they they're clearly just like isn't enough shooting and i i think we're all sort of on board with them uh mixing up their style and trying to adapt and modernize their offense but they, they just don't have the shooting to really make it 
pay off right now. Mm-hmm. And as nice as it is to have this kind of depth in the front court, um, I, I just don't think there is a point of having all those guys while you're kind of a little bit thinner um, on the wing and and a little bit just like weaker in terms of uh, being able to actually like like capitalize on the three point looks that you're generating. So. Yeah, and I think, like, Lowry and Serge and hopefully Norm will start hitting them a little bit more, and even Miles. Like, they're, a couple of those guys are streaky dudes anyway, but I do agree that eventually something will have to give, and if the Raptors are coming to, like, the new year and they are still a top-four team in three-pointers taken but also last in the league in three-pointers made uh, or, shoot, or a three-point shooting percentage, I mean, the, yeah, they'll probably have to look at it a little bit because, I mean... Uh, you know, Masai didn't really have time, I don't think, to really mold the roster in terms of how they want this whole, you know, quote-unquote culture reset thing to look. Um, so they're kind of in a weird transition mode right here where they're kind of dealing with a roster that might have been more suited towards what Lowry and DeMar do well uh, and sort of the old style of offense, but obviously things need to change. And the passing is there for a lot of these guys. That's like a really promising sign. Like most of these young guys are good passers. They're good decision makers. They seem to have reasonably high IQs. It's just uh, getting the results once they get those shots that they want that is going to be important. And, like, maybe this plays into why they want to play Bebe or something like that. Maybe they view Bebe as, like, their easiest trade chip because he makes a little bit more than some of the other guys who are on rookie deals. And maybe, you know, maybe you can kind of sell a team if if Bebe plays really well. Sell a team on trading for him for his bird rights for this summer. Um, These are all things to include. So, yeah, they're not just... uh, uh, chess pieces to be put on the court at our leisure. There, there's, there are human factors. There are team building factors behind it all. So, um, what we're saying is just it is fine. Just relax. It's all good. It's a bad loss. I don't think anyone's really freaking out too much though. Thankfully, so um, I feel like more people freaked out after the Warriors loss than they did after this one. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I think generally people tend to freak out more after close losses because then it's like there's just like a real microscope on yeah. like the last few minutes of the game and suddenly those few minutes take on this outsized importance where really like like looked at it holistically, like every minute is, is as important in any game as the next and like the Raptors played 46 and a half really good minutes in that Warriors game and like maybe one and a half not great minutes where they also happen to get burned by just like a couple of ridiculous pull-up threes. So mm-hmm. um, like in, in a close game when it kind of falls apart at the end, like then it just seems so much worse than it is. Whereas like if you come out and you just get spanked, then it's like, okay, whatever, they had an off night. And it's almost like from a process standpoint, there's nothing to take away from a game like that. Everybody was just off like from the beginning and like it got away from them in a hurry and then you know, fourth quarter was garbage time, so. Yeah, um, and yeah, the, the Raptors, of course, over the course of the season as well, have played like 20 or 21 good quarters out of 28, so um, that's nothing to keep in mind. They've been pretty good, all told. Uh, Joe, this was very good, all told. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, not really. I mean, you can follow me uh, at uh, Joey underscore double Y-O-U at, uh, and uh read my stuff at the score um that's pretty much it i mean i uh this time around don't have any tennis stuff to plug because uh, <laughs> i'm not going to really be writing about tennis until the australian opens so right. uh, i get a break from that and uh, i'll mostly just be writing about the nba for the next uh, few months so 
Sounds good, man. Still go back and read Joe's tennis archives because they're all very good. Uh, so. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Thanks again for having me on. Absolutely, man. We'll, uh, we'll do it again soon. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnRaptors. Subscribe, rate, and review. I'm on Twitter at WoodleySean. Do all those great good things, and I appreciate anyone who listens. And we'll be back again on Friday with the final episode of the week. And uh, have a great night, everybody. Talk to you soon. Cheers. All right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Sorry about the... Uh, no, no yeah, worries, man. The- uh, it would be a nice issues, treat but... for people when they get to the 10 minute mark and it's uh, crystal clear. So. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, thanks, man. And uh, yeah, let's, right, man. Uh, let's do it soon. Sure, talk, talk soon, man. All right, bye. Later.